Hey everybody, welcome to Chuck Yates Needs a Job, the podcast. My guest today, Dina Reitman, DLA Piper. I was thinking this, when did we actually meet? You and I? Yeah. In person or through the phone? Through the phone. Oh my goodness. Maybe 2014? I actually, did we meet at Con- when you were at Constellation? Oh! <gasps> We met when I was at Constellation. I think we did. We did. I, I can't remember what we were working on, but there was like- Was it a na- it had to be some sort of a natural gas deal. It was something because Constellation owned some assets. We at one point tried to buy. Um, Felix Dawson and the MLP tried to buy an asset That's from right. us. That's right. And I think we may have met them. That's right. Wow. I remember that. So it had to be 2008 or before 2008. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. How time just flies. Yeah, and then you became my lawyer. I know. But you know what's even crazier is that I didn't remember that. I'm sorry. That's all right. Well, I should have remembered, but I didn't remember that. I'm such that. a memorable guy. I get it. <laughs> no, no, you're totally memorable. I'm sorry about that. No, it's all good. So do this for mom's benefit because mom watches the podcast. Hey, mom. Tell, exactly. Hey, mom. <laughs> tell mom who DLA Piper is and what you're doing these days. Yeah, sure. So DLA Piper is a law firm one of the largest in the world, and I'm really proud to be there. And what I do there is I run their commodities subsector. So I have a group of people that work with me, not for me, but with me all throughout the world. And we specialize in anything and everything commodities, from agricultural commodities, metal, your traditional oil and gas commodities, of course. But then we're also expanding and doing a lot with that um We have that nice base to allow us to expand into the newer commodities, which are carbon and digital assets. So we do it all, all throughout the world. And so what's an example of like, is it trading contracts? What Give give me some sort of example of the actual law you're doing. Okay. So yes, it's trading contracts. So any kind of supply chain type trading contract or hedging or the underlying business and commercial needs of commodities companies, we do because I literally grew up in a commodities trading firm. I just was telling you that. Yeah, tell, <laughs> tell that story. This is so cool. Okay, so this is embarrassing. And if my parents really are listening, I'm sorry, folks. Um, so yeah, so one of the first in my family to go to college and uh, they sent me off to NYU, but um, they couldn't afford the meal plan. Now, if you talk to my dad, he'll say he didn't buy a meal plan because I would never eat it. But I actually know that they couldn't afford the meal plan. And so I was starving to death, like literally starving to death. I think I was 97 pounds. And so I went to the World Financial Center and I knocked on doors and I became the office manager at 18 years old of Revco Inc. So I've been in commodities since I've been 18, which is a very long time. And do not ask me how long. (laughs) (laughs) No, of course not. That is so cool. That's awesome. So you said something that surprised me. Okay. And I guess now we're hearing it, but carbon's a commodity. What yeah. does that mean? What's going on in there? Yeah. So a lot of people don't know that. And actually it's been great for me to educate and it's been great for my practice. So carbon, um, like renewable energy credits, 
um, can be traded through certificates or the purchase and sale of certificates. And so the way I come to the conclusion that carbon is a commodity is that in the Federal Register where the CFTC defines what is a swap. And CTFC commodity. Oh, yeah. I should tell you what that is. That's the Commodity Future Trading Commission. So that in the United States is our regulatory body over commodities and interstate commerce. So I don't know if you remember this, but in like 2000 and well, 2008, there was a huge crash. Remember? And the, the regulators were saying oh, there was yeah. a huge crash Absolutely. because of all the speculation. Yep. And so they blamed the crash on a large amount of speculation in the oil and gas markets, the commodities markets, et cetera. And so they created a construct uh, under the Dodd-Frank Act called a swap. And so what is a swap? And so for years and years, they debated and had conversations through notices of proposed rulemaking with the industry as to what is a swap. And in this thousands of pages, there's this little section about a renewable energy credit and what is a renewable energy credit and is it a swap because when you buy and sell a renewable energy certificate, a renewable energy credit, you're literally just transferring that certificate from one account to the other. And there's all this talk about, well, it can't ever be physical. It really, it's not physical. Um, it's not anything. It's not, you know, it's not a commodity. Is it a commodity? And so where they end up is they say that it is, this renewable energy certificate is an, is an environmental commodity. Now they won't tell you or define what an environmental commodity is per se, but just taking from that, carbon as an extension is an environmental commodity. And then taking from that even further, the way that the carbon credit is transferred between the buyer's account and the seller's account is similar to how you transfer the renewable energy credit. And so, again, taking from that and the years and years and years in commodities, right, since 18, carbon is a commodity. So carbon, when you buy and sell that certificate, which is the almost like the it's like the commodity itself is a certificate. You have to make sure you don't run afoul of the Commodity Future Trading Commission rules. Got it. Okay. Now I actually understood that. So start me off on how we even create a certificate. Oh, yeah. If I choose to plant a tree, can I create a certificate? Are there organizations, regulatory bodies that certify? What? How does that even start? Yeah. So that's a really really good question. And it's a little bit more in involved than just planting a tree. Although planting a tree does remove carbon from the air, um, if we're going to buy and sell these things, people have to have faith that it is an additional carbon reduction. So I know that, that sounds super weird because it's an additional reduction. But the way this works is, especially in the voluntary markets, you have what's called registries or um, bodies. They're not necessarily government bodies in the involuntary markets or regulatory bodies, but they're bodies. And these bodies set rules and the rules are called methodologies. And the methodologies are simply mathematical equations where they set a baseline chuck of what the carbon should be from a certain activity, right? So what should the carbon be for a certain activity? That's your baseline. 
And then you have to prove through a mathematical equation that you are reducing carbon or removing carbon in addition to that baseline, right? So that you get to go below the baseline. And then when you go below the baseline, they take, um, they take the carbon dioxide equivalent, like so one metric ton, and then that is issued in the form of a certificate. Now, right now, most registries do that through serial number, right? So like they give that one CO2 equivalent, you know, because there's also methane in there. There's a lot of you know, greenhouse gas, but they reduce it to the carbon dioxide equivalent. One metric ton is a serial number, a certificate. And that's what most people are doing today. But with the world of digital assets, I mean, that's going to be game changer. So are there two registries on the planet or 10,000 or somewhere in between? And are there shade, are there better ones versus weaker ones? What is, I don't even know what that world looks like. Yeah. So I don't know. It depends upon what you think is better. So there are multiple registries. There are some major ones, right? So like as a former, you know, commodities, like trading lawyer, and that was all I did, the ones that are bigger seem to be good because the, you know, the supply and demand is there, you know, you, you have the right mechanisms to get the right pricing, right? So there are some big ones that have a lot of projects on them and a lot of people interested, right? Are they the best? I don't know if that's the right answer because they are allowed to set their own methodologies and their own standards. And some of them are very strict on what they will allow on their registry. So, you know, as a former, well, not former, as an oil and gas lawyer, some of the big boys don't have any methodologies that allow a reduction in an oil and gas, for example, in an oil and gas technology or in an oil and gas activity, right? So perhaps they're better because they are, you know, bigger, a lot of supply and demand, but perhaps they're not better because they're, they're excluding a large chunk of the market. Right, but then you have smaller ones that are popping up all over the place, like all over the place, that are seeing this need and they're trying to fill that need, right? Trying to set up different registries with different methodologies that tackle all sorts of um, activity and technology, including, you know, you know, vegan leather, uh, methane capture, um, and all these things don't exist or are in the process of becoming a thing. So there are multiple, there's not thousands, but there are multiple and more and more popping up. Gotcha. That's interesting. It, what it feels like to me, having just heard your answer is cell phone, uh, cell phones in the beginning, networks were kind of popping up everywhere with different kind of features. And here we are 50 years later or 40 years later, and there are five of them. It I think that's, what the, feel, that's what's going to happen. For that, sure. That's what it kind of feels like it's going to happen. The vegan leather one works really well. Big guy's going to buy the small guy and right. they're going to have that specialty. Oh, that's interesting. Or it's going to be the guys that have the vision on the technology. Okay. That are going to be the ones that will probably survive or take over. Because a lot of what we have here is we have someone telling you. Remember, I told you about that methodology and then they do that calculation to show you how much they reduce. Right. right now, it's just someone doing a calculation and they write this really long report and they send the report in and you believe the report. Right. right. The more we get this kind of 
um, measurement on a blockchain or through meters or through a technology that can't be changed. Remember, we were talking about crypto before this whole thing started. Um, those credits that come out in the end are going to be more valuable because then you actually know what you're buying and you know it hasn't been changed or messed with or whatever the case may be. And you're going to have more people wanting to buy that one. So I actually think it may not even be the bigger ones that end up surviving. It'll be the ones that are able to use technology to get rid of probably the largest risk, which is fraud. Like it's not real. Like it's, or it's already bought and sold before, right? And all that will go away through the use of technology. Yeah, because at the end of the day, generally speaking, transparency wins. You transparency know, in, wins. In, in the long run. May not win in the short run, but generally speaking. So that's how we're creating certificates. Um, and, you know, I've got my factory. I do 100. I've got a project reducing it to 80. So I'm going to have a I'm going to have a certificate for 20 that I can go out and sell. Who's buying this stuff? Who's on the other side of the trade? Right. So that is what's really interesting right now. So most of the registries have rules that say when you buy the certificate, you must consume it. And you understand why they have those rules, right? They have those rules because they want to help the environment. What they don't want is for someone to buy the certificate, hold on to it forever, never consume it or retire it, they call it, because then you know, the environment's not really helped, right? Like it's literally just sitting. Okay, I have cookie monster in my mind eating cookies. What does consume mean? Right. So consumes means retired. So it means that once that certificate is retired, it's like at a commission and that reduction actually sticks. Is that the right word? Like that reduction actually happened then because then no, because no one else can use that certificate uh, for anything else, right? So, so... Back to my factory, I created my certificate for 20. I buy it. Consume means tear it up. Consume means tear it up. And, okay. and most registries have rules that want you to retire because they want to help the environment. If you don't tear it up and then we just get this huge, think about it, we just get this huge inventory of credits. No one will make them anymore. Who's going to invest in a project? I could just buy credits from somebody because he never used them. Right? So they have to be consumed just like oil or gas would be consumed. Right? So we, okay. they create this almost like we would in any other commodities market, they create this natural consumption. So most registries have rules about consumption. So who's buying it? Those that need to consume. But really in this country, there's no real like requirement. So um, there are other buyers popping up. And then there are also very entrepreneurial buyers that are popping up that see that the writing on the wall, that at some point, whether it's from government regulation or whether it's from your consumers saying they want you to offset your carbon, right? Like, so you're some big retailer, right? And you know that customers are leaving you because your competitor is saying that they're offsetting, right? Like, there are buyers out there that are buying them up, saying that they're going to consume them because they know that there's going to be demand later. So, there are ways to get around this consumption and it's not necessarily around it, but registries are getting smart. So like some of the, again, like you said about the cell phones. So it's ever, whoever can think ahead in the market is going to be the winner. So some of these smaller registries are getting smart and they're saying, I'm going to set up different types of buyers. So I'm going to set up an aggregate buyer. So some of them have like tags that say aggregate buyer 
which you would think of between you and I would almost be like um like a marketer, right? Okay. So they're allowing that now. So you could buy them in aggregate and then sell them. Um, some of the smaller registries, even some of the larger ones have begun to put language in their rules about agents or marketers. Um, so right now the buyers are consumers, although I have to say the trend is moving towards people understanding in this market that there is going to be a, a rush of demand at some point and they need aggregators and they need marketers. Like my mom's going to want a credit at one point. She's not going to want to open an account. You know, it's a pain in the butt to open an account. Because the thing I'm trying to wrap my head around is, and I've talked a lot about this on the podcast, and I think the genesis of talking about it was a couple of years ago with Dan Pickering when he came on. You know, as much as we like to say this is big, bad government, ESG, no, this is being consumer-led. I mean, my three kids have led the greatest life of any three kids on the planet. Mine too. I would love to come back as one of my kids. It would be great. <laughs> If you ask them tomorrow, hey, do you want to get rid of oil and gas? Oh, yeah, we need to ban that. In a heartbeat. I know. And literally, it's like in everything that they have. It's in their clothes. It's in the table. I, I, it's probably what helped them go to school. Exactly. Live Mine this, too. Live this great life. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's crazy. And I always I'm a little snarky back. I'm like, hey, I know how we can shut them all down. How's that, Dad? Stop using it. You can just stop using it. You don't need to drive your car there. You can walk and stuff. But anyway, that seems to fall on deaf ears. But so I'm thinking through these buyers and someone that's retiring it. It's let's pick somebody, a big consumer company, Coca-Cola. They buy them because they want to be able to say, that's right. we have done X, Y, Z in reducing carbon, you know, as part of this. Do I ever go buy them because I need X amount of credits to be able to build my new factory? So but because in in my mind that doesn't get rid of it. No, no. So okay. you're you're like you're kind of mixing between like a compliance market model yep. and a voluntary market model. Now, just my personality yep. is I believe that as a like a free market, like we can figure this out. In my mind, I think it should be consumer driven, like you were okay. saying, right? right? Like my kids, your kids, you know, even maybe even me at some point will get a little bit more into this. I do this for a living. Right. You're going to want to find the Coke can or the makeup that says, listen, this was carbon neutral, right? And so why do I want to do that? Because uh, I kind of love the planet and I know that I have to do my part. Um, so yeah, I think it should be consumer driven. And usually if we allow the markets to work, it will be consumer driven, right? Like that's one approach. That's one idea. Another idea is it's regulated. Like it's a compliance market. Like someone tells you, like in your example, if you're going to start a factory, you need to have X amount of carbon credits in your profile to offset Got what it. you're doing. And that's like a mandated thing. Um, and maybe it's not one or the other. Maybe it's a mixture of both, but you're definitely hitting on something. Like it has to go from being a luxury buy to just a buy. And once we can do that, then, you know, the markets will take off, right? Yeah. That's, that's my belief. That's my theory. I, I mean, I literally structure businesses all day long on that belief in that theory. Paul Sankey, who's the oil and gas research guy, long time at Deutsche Bank and now on his own, he describes it this way. He said, I told my wife 25 years ago, just buy organic. 
just go ahead and buy it. Let's make it the standard. Let's pay extra for it. And once, you know, that becomes standard, then that's great. That's good for, for all of us. And so to your point, it's, I now see what you're saying. It's like, oh, I'm going to buy Coke and not Pepsi or Pepsi right. and not Coke because it's carbon neutral. That's right. And I'm going to do it too. I'm going to do it because my kids want me to, and I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do. I mean, we close the hole in the ozone layer. We can do this. Right. Right. Like we can do this. We don't need necessarily, listen, the European model is all about regulation and compliance and comply markets and everything needs to be done through the government. And we're seeing in this country a little bit more of the activity and like the real excitement is where we're finding that we can make money in the industry where it's consumer driven. And we're getting standardization through just the fact that we want our markets to work. Like we don't need a government to tell us we need standardization, do we? Because we need it, right? We need transparency, like you said, because we want our markets to work. So the, the British girlfriend that I have oh, yes. never watches this podcast anyway. <laughs> so I'll go ahead and say it. The Europeans don't mind being told what to do. And we just really hate we that. We just don't do it. It's just not our jam. It's not our jam. Exactly. Why, why run to California to go pan for gold? Because we can get rich and we chose to do it, not because someone in the government told us to do it. That's so, right. yeah, no, I got it. So any idea how big this market is? Uh, um, right now? Right now, just even ballparkish. Because if you told me, it was $25 million, I'd be like, okay, that didn't surprise me. If you told me it was $500 billion, that wouldn't surprise me. Any idea how I much of this no is trading? how big it is right now, but it's supposedly going to be over $400 billion market by 2050. It's going to okay. eclipse the energy market. Okay. I mean, I don't know. There's this new show on Netflix that Glenn keeps trying to get me to watch where um, it supposedly takes place in 2050 and like your carbon your carbon like footprint is your money. Your your profile, your carbon yeah. score. It's like yeah. your carbon score is your money. You know, that actually happens today. I had uh, the lady that's running for attorney general in Louisiana, and she's the solicitor general of Louisiana. She has sued the federal government numerous times on your carbon score, meaning they are using, and you're seeing a lot of this in the news, if you'll charge your phone at night instead of during the day, you have a better carbon score. Therefore, they're more likely to loan you money. I mean, this is becoming a real right. thing. Well, you should, I'm telling you, whatever that show is, and I'll have to ask Glenn what the name of it is because I can't remember, but it's real. And suppose, well, in the show, it's real. And it's your currency. Yeah. Like how much you can reduce is how, like you said, how much loan money you can get, like where you can go. Almost like you're locked in the show. It's, of course, it's over the top. It's almost like right. you're locked in your house. Like if you don't have enough carbon commodity to go out that day. No, that's... Uh, and it's all commodities. Right. And it starts from when I was 18 years old. I kid <laughs> you not. Well, this is funny. And a, and a funny side note on this. Your husband has negotiated, I don't know how many bank deals for me. I don't think I've ever met him in person. Really? I don't think I ever oh. have. I think I've only talked to him <laughs> on the phone. We, uh, we use DLA Piper for, gosh... I forget when we switched from making gum. When Jack Langlois came over. So whenever Jack left Yeah, I don't get, remember when that was. Yeah. Because Glenn was with him. Yeah. It was 2004? Oh, no, wait, 2005? I don't remember. But yeah. yeah, they're really good friends. Yeah, no, it was great. I've talked to your husband a million times on bank deals. Although my guys figured out early on, 
don't let Chuck near the legal documents because then he starts asking questions. So oh. I only got I only got when somebody walked into my office and they were talking about legal problems. It was like legal agreements. It's like, oh, my God, there's a bit there's a big problem. So uh, anyway, that's funny. You have to meet him. Yeah, we we work together. DR, and y'all haven't killed each other. No. That's amazing. It's wonderful. It's, <laughs> I swear. And everyone asks if we will kill each other, but we work together. So he's a finance lawyer. And um, obviously, I do commodities. And so when you try to, if we're going to talk about carbon and like financing these projects, like he and I are like, like peanut butter and jelly because I'm trying to structure the finance of the carbon stream, right? And he's trying to tell me, you know, oh, well, that looks like debt. And I'm like, I don't want it to be debt. I want it to be project finance of the stream. I want it to be a stream. And so, no, we, we come up with structures together. Oh, that's cool. So, so give me like two or three just example of law work you've done now that we've kind of talked about, we've got this market of people creating certificates, understand why buyers will buy them. What are you doing to facilitate that like on various sides? Oh, okay. So I do a lot. So let's talk about, let's almost like take it life cycle. Yep. So when you have a project and your project is going to additionally reduce carbon, you need money, right? Let's just take the most vanilla example that I have in my repertoire right now, which is like a cook stove project in Africa or something. You need money to actually manufacture the cook stove. So there are companies out there that have money to deploy, like funds, to projects that are going to be creating a carbon credit stream or a stream of carbon credit. And so what I do then is on both sides, I'll either represent the project, right? Like I have a lot of projects. You mentioned planting trees. I have tons of projects that are looking for money that I'm structuring the finance because they're bringing money in for their stream of carbon credits that will come either they're either being produced or they will come in the future now that's a wrinkle um rich forest land forest lands all over canada I have hemp farmers i have rice farmers i have in asia right projects so legally i help the project developer structure their finance for, for that stream of carbon credit right so they will then sell that carbon credit it's not debt so they don't have to pay it back, which is great. It's not equity, so I don't have to worry about the SEC, which is the Security Exchange Commission. It's a commodity that we're selling and we sell forward. So I do that, and I do it from the other side too. So like from the funds that are trying to deploy capital, I help them do that too, um, which involves a lot of due diligence, right? So I've got teams that we work with in Africa and Asia, and we've got people who work for us who speak Spanish because a lot of these projects are in Honduras or in Latin America, right, where there's uh, rainforest and things. So I do that. So I do it for both sides. Um, there's often an indigenous community which needs to be represented or you help somehow carve out some money to help the indigenous community, right? So I do that. But then, you know, right to my roots, I help people figure out how to market it and trade it and set up exchanges and set up registries. So one of my greatest friends who you know, is Jim Rao, 
Okay, Jim Rao is starting an ex- a registry, like a carbon registry called Capturian. And he is one of the first to put money towards creating a digital asset of carbon. Like he's putting a ton of investment in a registry that will have that certificate. Remember how I told you most of them are by serial number? Not his. He's going to tokenize it, which has every piece of information on it from that project all the way so you can see what you're buying. And he's going to create an exchange for that eventually. I mean, there's regulation about the exchange, but I do all that, all that commodities work. And by me, I mean, really, we have a team. I mean, we have a team of people at DLA. We have a chief technology officer that we bring in from soup to nuts, all of it. So we do it. So um, I'll give an example. Okay. Kane Anderson, we're, this is pre-me getting fired. So let's say 2019. <laughs> okay. We're, we're going to, uh, you know, we just celebrated the three-year anniversary of, of your getting fired. Yeah, three years of being unemployed. But um, anyway, so let's say pre that, 2019, we're going to send out documents for a startup oil and gas company with a new management team, right? Literally 98% of those documents standardized. We change some names, whatever. We send it to them. We negotiate. Maybe 5% of it gets negotiated. And so I will say that is level 10 standardization. I will say the first deal that Julian Smythe did for us, even before we met Jack Langlois and we were doing a deal we created it from scratch. I mean, yeah, we that's were, what we're doing. Yeah. So where are we on a scale of zero to ten or one to ten? Okay. On 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 a deal. So I come into you and I'm gonna plant trees and save the rainforest and do all this. How much and I know I'm asking you to guesstimate, but how much of this is like, hey, the market's kind of developed about this 50% and we're going to wind up negotiating this 50% is it 80 20 0 0 0 oh, and wow. we have so many people out there that are trying to develop their own forms or lawyers that are trying to do this um based upon things that they've done in the past like maybe they are a debt lawyer or maybe they are a finance lawyer for cars or whatever and so they'll use forms that they had and they try to adopt them for this market super super risky because it is a regulated it is regulated by the cftc and you have to be super careful um so i'd say zero because i can't tell you how many times i get documents from other law firms or whatever and i'm like Mm-mm. like you can't even show me where you have title to this credit but yet you want my client to give you money like no like this document has to have you know i need to see your accounts i need to see who owns it i need to see your project operations it's not as easy as just like plugging things in yet, but it's getting better. But every time I do it, I think of something else I want to do better, right? So like, you know, one deal had a donation agreement attached to it. And like I did this donation agreement, I was like a two-pager. Ah, you know, you're going to give money to the, to the community. And as I thought about it. I'm like, no, no, no. It needs to be better than that, right? Like it needs to be like tied somehow to let the community know that this isn't like, you know, we're not colonizing them. You know, like there has to be some sort of not only just donation, but perhaps 
education component. You know what I mean? So like every time I do, I do it better. At some point, I'll get to a 10. Right now, I don't think we're anywhere near a 10. So that's really cool for being a lawyer, right? I mean, it's fun being in the wild, wild west. Captain Kirk go so boldly cool. going where, where no man's gone before. The How prohibitive have you seen that on deals? Meaning, you know, to some degree when I'm buying an asset from natural gas partners or whatever, we know what the sale and purchase agreement looks like. We we may not get something done because we're fighting, but we at least know the five things we need to argue about. I would almost think starting from scratch, it kills a lot more stuff. But am I making that up? Or? No, no, it kills a lot of stuff. I've had one thing die this week. Um, people are super motivated. Okay. I mean, I know I feel, I feel like... You know, I don't mean to be like, I'm not green or granola-y at all, um, but people are really motivated. People want to do this. Depending upon what they're motivated by, I mean, there's a lot of money to be made here. Think about what I just said. They're saying this is going to eclipse the oil and gas markets, right? Like, right. this is going to be, there's a lot of money to be made here. So, yes, deals die, but, you know, just smile. <laughs> just smile. I had some guy at some law firm, like, last week, like, he kept cutting me off and it was like you just keep cutting me off you just gotta stop cutting me off and if you just let me explain it to you i do this all day every day and i promise i want to get this done <laughs> <laughs> and it, ha it works it works but you're right things do die a little bit more than you would probably see in what we used to do a lot of you know right yeah and, and, you know, it may be the same amount dies. It just dies before you get called. You know, I mean, yeah. if, you know, if I was going to buy something from natural gas partners and there was a red flag, I'd pick up the phone and call them and just say, hey, guys, what are we going to do about this one title issue? Well, you're just going to have to take it and eh, never mind. You know, so it, it may it may actually just die quicker. So that's OK. So that's cool. That's happening. So I guess money to be made is you'll have registries make money because they'll figure out how to be better just like any other service provider you'll have you'll have legal you'll have finance just like any other business right uh, and then at the end of the day projects if i can sell the sell the uh, certificates for more than i paid to generate them i make money right and you're also selling the thing yeah like in my example you're selling the cook stoves yeah and the vegan leather right and like i said i got a Another exchange I'm setting up, um, Pan Exchange. I don't know if you've heard of them. So they are an agricultural ex exchange, right? And it's agricultural farming. They're also selling the farmland. Yeah. I mean, it's just another revenue source. Like I had lunch today with these guys that have this really cool idea. Uh, it's, like a, it's like a methane, um, super cool idea. Um, it's like a methane capture. And that's reducing carbon right. gas, but they're not monetizing it. It's like you guys are literally giving up an entire stream of revenue. Why? Let's think about, let's talk about how we monetize that. Let's go. Because, I mean, we did, so we did a, what we call a Netflix streaming event back during the pandemic here at Digital Wildcatters that we called Zero. And it was about driving emissions in the oil and gas business to zero. And one of the things that came out of putting that content out is there is so much of that happening in the oil and gas business, but no one tells that story. So we don't get any credit for it. I know it, it I mean, upsets me. 
It really upsets me it upsets too. It upsets me like, so much. With this, with no, just no. my iPhone, I could go document this stuff. You yeah, know? no, it upsets me. I, I'm on speaking circuits and I'm like, you have to stop the war against the oil and gas industry. Do you know how many clients I have that have just knowledge in their head that if we would just let them Tell them to come it? sit right here I and know. tell that story. I should story. tell you. I should, I, should, I should have these guys talk to you for real. Yeah. They have so much knowledge. Because, and I said this to a very prominent private equity oil and gas professional a couple of weeks ago who I've known forever as a dear friend. I actually said, you need to come on the podcast and talk about all you've done. Ah, not really my thing. Yeah, because I don't want to do up. it. I go, guess what? In a vacuum, the other side gets to talk. And I go, the environmentalists and what they've done demonizing this industry would not happen if the general public knew that you existed and all you've done for the charitable uh, folks around Houston. Because this guy's been amazing. He's been on multiple boards. Yeah, you got to get him on here. Yeah. And I you can't just be the only, I'm, like, I'm literally on speaking circuits. Like, we have to stop the war in this industry. Like I said, there are registries that literally were set up and one of their major tenants were, was no hydrocarbon projects, period. Can you believe it? Yeah. The one place where we, I mean, shoot, when I was at Chevron, this was before my youngest was born. When I was at Chevron, we were doing this stuff then before it was cool. Yeah. And we don't tell those we stories. We don't tell the story. We don't tell the stories at all. And you know what's interesting is if one of the things I've gotten being the unemployed social media influencer that I am, <laughs> ha ha, but being being kind of outside of energy and seeing around, what's amazing today is you cannot tell the difference between a private equity fund, a venture capital fund, and a media company. Pull up Andreessen Horowitz's website, VC fund, you know, Mark Andreessen, arguably the greatest tech investor these days, or certainly one of them. And you pull up the homepage, it's here's our podcast on future gaming, what we think is going to happen there. Here's our newsletter on this. It's all this great content. And then you go to energy, any of the energy private equity funds, and you're like, well, let me see your content. And they're like, oh, we don't do that. Yeah, we don't do that. We stick our head in the sand. And then they sit there and go, but we can't raise money. And I go, you're trying to raise money like people did 20 years ago. The rest of the world, I mean, there are people crowd surfing $500 million funds on Twitter that started literally in their mom's basement, but they became an acknowledged expert on storage, on, you know, whatever, convenience stores, whatever, yeah. just because they became thought leaders and people sought them out. And so, yeah, the fact we don't use content, we're kind of getting what we deserve. I hate to say that in the energy business, but Aww. if we're not going to tell our stories. I know. I then- know. But think about it. They're being demonized you said it and they're being beaten up so it takes a lot i mean it takes a lot of guts to be like um can you just let me like i said can you just let me finish can you just let me say what i'm going to say can you please just let me speak because if you let me speak then i think we can work together but that's why i'm all about really this voluntary market like this free market because i think at some point it's going to correct itself we're going to need that knowledge we're going to need that we're going to need that knowledge. I mean, how can we do it without their knowledge? I mean, I got, I got a friend. Was he at Chevron? I can't remember where he was, but um, chemist. And, um, you know, he's making some really cool stuff in water, which is going to be the next big thing, right? And he came from, I think it was Chevron. You, you get my point. Yeah. 
And, and quite frankly, I haven't been able to wrap my head around it, so I'll pose the question to you, but I'll go first just so I'm not sandbagging you. <laughs> um, at the end of the day, I always say on the podcast, there's no peeing and non-peeing section of the pool, right? So if China and India are going to pollute, we can do all we want to. Doesn't matter. It's one pool, right? And, you know, so being able to force China and India to do stuff I don't know that we can do that regulatory wise. I mean, you know, because you put laws in place, people get around laws, they do whatever. I almost think it has to be voluntary. I think I think people in the United States, if they want to, you know, buy carbon neutral stuff. Are going to have if they do that, that's what that's what dries up potentially China and India providing us with products more so than anything we could do trying to get something out of Congress. But listen, so I, that's my question. To the, you're, preaching okay. to the, you're preaching to the choir. I don't know the future. Um, I do know that there are some regulations out there that are trying to almost like solve what you just raise is a really important problem. There are corresponding adjustments. It's not here. Like We don't have the, those regulations yet. Um, but it's like when you have, so say my example, um, my farmer, say that they create the additional reduction in Honduras. There is laws that are on the books that if you create the credit or the additional reduction in Honduras, it needs to be used, retired in Honduras, right? Um, and there are laws coming out to make that a thing and make that happen. Now, I don't know the future. I don't know what that will do to my whole theory about voluntary markets um, or what voluntary markets can do. Like if if voluntary markets will be allowed to be used, you know, in different countries or, or what the heck the case may be, because right now they can. It's a global market. Um, but you're right. That is an issue that I'm hoping you're even more right than you think that the consumer driven, the market drive will use that to make India and China uh, do what they have to do for the environment. I just don't know though. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that I've, I've thought that through. I do think one of the big things that highlights is our previous point is that we've got to do a better job of educating just because if we're going to have a consumer led reduction in carbon, we need to make sure it's not a splashy Madison Avenue ad firm that led to all this buying and it's actual real reduction in it. Yeah, there has to be real reduction. That's why yeah. I told you most of them have rules about consumption. Yeah. You have to create consumption like you would in any commodity market, right? Like you don't pull oil out of the ground to just look at it. Right. Right. Like at some point somebody needs to consume it. Right. So that's got, that's the key. It has to be used like a, commodity and it has to be fungible like a commodity yeah and, and i think on the front end the certification though needs to be real and that, and yeah and that's what yeah, i'm saying the yeah. technology piece to make that certification real yeah. is going to be what drives more and more and more investment and more and more projects and will drive the market to get better and better i mean think about it wouldn't you if you were running a fund and had money to give wouldn't you rather give it to someone who you knew had the technology to really keep track of the reduction tied to that, you know, that that activity in the project tied to that certificate tied to whoever you bought and sold it from. Right. I mean, 
Yeah. That's going to be key. That's really cool. It's, 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 it's fascinating to me because one, it's being consumer led Two, as we talked about earlier, it's the wild, wild west. It is. I mean, yeah. this is, this is kind of new days. And so they're interesting things to sit around and think about. And it's only going to get bigger. It's only going to get bigger. I mean, this is a tidal wave. It's a tidal wave. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be huge, like huge. And I'm just so happy that I get to do it. And it just so happens that I get to do it because I'm starving. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, dad. (laughs) Well, you're not starving now. Well, no, I'm not starving now, but yeah. Yeah. It's just so lucky. Just so lucky. Two partners at DLA probably doing okay. Yeah, no, we're not. More we're so not. than an unemployed podcast. That's host. right. <laughs> Chuck Gates needs a job. Chuck Gates needs a job. Were you cool to come on and uh, talk about this? This oh, was you're awesome. Welcome. How do people reach you? Yeah, so they can reach me through um, my email address, which is dina.reitman at dlapiper.com. And it's hard to spell. Thanks, Dad. Um, D E A N N A dot reitman r-e-i-t-m-a-n at d-l-a-piper.com or they can just find me on linkedin finding me on linkedin is super easy and i'm constantly answering the dm people ask me to post videos and things they can just write in the dm if they want me to answer a question if i didn't answer it here happy to not a problem very cool very cool well tell your husband i'm looking forward to meeting him at some point and uh thanks for coming on oh you're so welcome thanks for having me